Well, let's do this episode. This is the one I've been waiting for for a while. Yeah, we're going to talk about vaccine mandates today on Travel Evolved. It's an important topic, one that most people in our industry, especially on my side of the desk, um, certainly they're talking about behind the scenes, just not with you guys. It's a huge topic of conversation. On, in every conference room, in every private office, in almost every staffing company in the entire United States. Vendors are worried, hospitals are worried, travelers are worried. We're all in this together, as, they, as we said so many times a few, uh, a few years ago, which kind of drove, I think, people nuts. But the fact is, is that this is going to affect our industry, no matter what side of the coin you flip on. And if you don't flip on a side of the coin, it's still, you cannot avoid the fact that vaccine mandates are going to affect supply and demand, period. So let's talk about it today, and let's have an open discussion on this week's edition of Travel Evolved. Travel Evolved. I'm Mark Holloway. Welcome, everyone, to this episode. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this episode because it's something that, uh, like I said on the intro, that we, we, need to, we need to talk about this. Our industry is so crazy. I've always said it so many times that there's so many things that nobody talks about. Or if they do, it's kind of amongst travelers with themselves, agencies with themselves, vendors, hospitals, you name it. But our industry is is kind of not really secretive. I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it just we openly don't discuss things that I think is makes our industry worse for everybody, for all parts of the moving parts of what is in fact healthcare travel. The fact that we don't openly talk to each other about things, you know, there's a lot of it that's by design. A lot of it is because agencies, you know, don't necessarily want educated travelers, especially financially educated travelers, because they question things that interfere with with bigger margins, more profit. And, you know, again, I've said before, <laughs> that's just part of our world, let alone our, our industry. I don't know a company that doesn't want to make money. Um, so, you know, that's why it is what it is. And, and again, it's not to take anything away. And I like to beat up all of us agencies all the time because I do believe that there are things that are purposeful to kind of prey upon ignorant travelers or innocent travelers that haven't had the school of hard knocks, so to speak. But today, you know, this is one of those things, like I said, I really want to do this episode. I had this crazy idea about could we talk honestly and candidly about vaccine mandates? Again, this is not a pro or, or anti-vaccine episode. And that's really important because we, we muddle those lines a lot in our world right now, in our economy, our, our country. 
If you're anti-mandate, people think you're anti-vaccine. If you're pro-mandate, people think that you are pro-vaccine. And last time I checked, the two do not intercede against each other. They're, it's, it's two totally, completely opposite things. So that's why I want to make sure that we're really openly talking about mandates. What we're talking about is government and private institutions that are mandating a vaccine in order to keep your job. And by the way, as you guys all can tell, it's not just with healthcare. It's happening all over the place. And there are some companies that are mandating that, some companies that aren't, some companies have changed their mind one way or the other and have flip-flop based upon, um, who knows, whether their opinion or supply and demand, it's all over the place. So it is, obviously, uh, we're into November. A lot of the deadlines have come and gone. They didn't, when I recorded the, the following two guests that are going to join us today, uh, it hadn't happened yet, but it was coming. So this whole episode today is really talking about something that, again, it kind of goes along with our philosophy here at Travel Evolved. There really shouldn't be anything that we shouldn't be willing to openly discuss. And I've always said, I think episode number one is communication is key. And here's a perfect example of how lack of communication is causing unknown, which causes fear, which causes anxiety. And if we started to talk about it, whether the answer is good or bad, and I don't think it's really good, no matter what happens, talking about can oftentimes make us feel a little bit better. For those people that are thinking about becoming a traveler, for those that are you know totally committed, for those that are thinking about ending their health care or their, especially their travel portion of their health care career, this is all something that if you if you really can talk about it and hear some other people's opinions, it may give you a better chance of making a better decision as to what you want to do with your career and how you want to treat um, this. So today we're going to talk about again. I I really wanted to I thought about for a second <laughs> having two different people on at the same time, but unfortunately in our country um, I felt that would have been a mistake. Now as it turned out, to be honest with you. The two guests that I had, I think, could have done that. They were, by the way, both people that came on are incredibly bright, incredibly solid, strong nurses. Happens to be both in the cases here, um, and I think they both are are intellectual enough that they we, we really could have had a good conversation. But I didn't know that when I did it, so I decided to have two separate interviews and and openly discuss, try to play devil's advocate for both of my guests. And to really ask some ignorant and innocent questions about them that I believe people with the opposite opinion would have. So that's what I, I, I approached this episode. And it was very interesting to see that um, a lot of people on both sides of the equation, and I hate to say that because it sounds so divisive, but it really kind of was, were both very hesitant. Not these two individuals, but I had a lot of people that I thought, if I throw that out there, hey, I'm looking for a guest that's anti-mandate, one that's pro-mandate, I thought I'd get the phone book because people are very opinionated on it. But as it turned out, while people were opinionated, not a lot of people were willing to come on camera, have a conversation, and openly share their opinion, which is, I think, the quintessential problem with what's happening in our, in our country right now. I'm going to get a little philosophical right now. I don't know what happened. You guys all know I'm old. I'm in my 50s. I grew up in the 60s. I was, I was born in the 60s. I grew up in the 70s, really, and the 80s. And there hasn't been a time in my life, except for potentially the last eight years maybe, maybe six years, that I have seen our country to a point where you cannot have an opinion that differs from somebody else without being called an idiot or a moron or a number of other different things. And by the way, this is not one-sided. It is both sides. And I think that's insane that we can't have an honest opinion. How are we going to get better as a country? Right now, we need so much work in our country that 
we need to get back to those that feeling if we possibly can in the 60s and 70s where people were like, you know, have a difference of opinion, but it could be where you said, oh, that makes good sense. I, I, can, I can see that point because there's no way that both sides don't have a point in the matter. And that's what I wanted to accomplish today. But as it turns out, and I just, again, I'm on my little bit on a soapbox here. I think it's a shame, I've said this multiple times, that we can't listen to other opinions anymore in our country. We become so myopic and so bullheaded about we're right, I should say, I'm right, you're wrong, and not only are you wrong, but you're a stupid, stupid person for even thinking differently than I do. It's, it's easy to point fingers and to yell and scream, especially on social media, and people have done that. I know... I have personally experienced that. I've seen it with friends of mine, fraternity brothers of mine, good friends of mine that have also gotten huge arguments and lost lifetime friendships over the temperature that's going on in our country right now. Here's what I did learn. I did learn that I think in hospitals and facilities around the country, that is less likely the case. It seems like people have a little bit more, there is more of the norm in there where there's, I understand, however, I understand, however, I like that. So hats off if that's the case to healthcare professionals that you guys at least have the opinion to be able to be a little more open-minded than I think the general public, people like me and people that are, are outside of that. I'm just going to throw us all under the bus. I think that we're in trouble as a country with the fact that we aren't willing to listen to viable opinions about things like a mandate for a vaccine. That's what I'm going to say. So it was really great to have these two guests on. And uh, I'm going to, again, we did it separately. I've pre-recorded those. Uh, first time with Travel Evolved that we've done that. But it just had a lot of things going on. We had to release another episode. So there was a bunch of things that kind of went into this. But it was, I found both interviews incredibly fascinating. Again, uh, Brent and Amy were awesome and I, I think they both did a very, very good job of explaining their opinion, their position. What I found interesting as a non-healthcare professional is you would think that being right there, by the way, Brent is an ICU, an ER nurse. Amy is an ER nurse. So we're not talking about, you know, I'm just going to say like an, like a, a, an operating room individual or a rehabilitation or a labor and delivery. This is something that, that is front and center with what has been happening with COVID, with the vaccine, everything else, you name it. And again, from a, from a completely ignorant standpoint, I think if I were to ask 10 of my friends, they would have the opinion that in healthcare, there would be an overwhelming opinion, like 95% feeling one way over the other. And as I'm learning, it really wasn't the case, which is really interesting that the opinion can be that different with people that are experiencing the same thing, which again, I found that fascinating. No opinion there, but I understand how me and my neighbor, for example, would have completely different opinions because we're not there. And the one thing I want to say, and I said to both of them, is that my opinion on this topic, I really think doesn't matter. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It's not, um, it's not qualified. It's, it is in fact an opinion and it's an uneducated one. Me, like everybody else in this country, I get my opinion secondhand at least. Now, I may have a little bit more of a, of a closer, I guess, grasp upon things as I talk to a lot of travelers and I see and hear things and it's all over the place. Myself and let's say my neighbor, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I think there is a little bit of a difference between us, but certainly not somebody who is there in the hospital, especially these two, by the way, who literally have been working since the, you know, since COVID was 
announced in a thing since the pandemic was became you know back in December of of really 2019 right into when it became the forefront in early 2020 right up to today. So yes, Brent and Amy's opinion in my opinion is much more important than mine. It has more value. It carries a lot more weight. I, I can throw things out there, but that's why uh, today's this is not about what I think. It is about what they think, and more importantly, what we really wanted to talk about was more about how does this affect travel going forward? Supply and demand, primarily. What does this mean for not only staff, you know, employees in hospitals, long-term care centers, facilities, rehabilitation, psychiatric facilities, you name it, but especially the travel market? And I really want to delve into that to find out what is this going to mean? And uh, I have an opinion upon that. I think my opinion might be, again, it's a guess. It's an educated guess as to what we're looking at as far as rates, as far as supply and demand, as far as, you know, how hospitals are going to continue to make money, how the public is going to treat um, potentially a lack of, of, I guess, healthcare professionals. So there's a lot of really interesting things in there. But again, I appreciate you guys listening to this episode I'm going to probably have the team promote this. You know, normally we go back, we promote episodes we've already done, just kind of get caught up. But this one I think we're going to be throwing out there on a lot of pages for people to listen to and, and watch because I think it's one of those things that, again, as you're listening to this and you're watching this, whatever opinion is that you have, I really want you to pay attention to the words and the opinion of the person that, that feels differently than you do. And please try to come up with, with some things that say, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I agree with everything, but that is a good point. That's what I think this country needs. And I think in healthcare, we especially need to understand other people's opinions. And I think, like I said, you guys do. So I'm giving you uh, more of the benefit of the doubt on that. But I want to jump right in and talk about this. And we're going to get started. I want to talk again. Our first guest that I had on is Brent. And uh, Brent's in the Bay Area of California. As it turns out, both of them are in the Northern California area, Bay Area. So it's kind of interesting that both people I interviewed have a very similar, I guess, experience based upon how, you know, it wasn't like I had somebody from a rural part of the country and someone from a bigger city. So that was interesting to me, two different opinions there, but let's start with Brent. Um, Brent came on and, and volunteered right away. I've known him for, you know, for a little while, at least a lot of huge respect for him. Uh, he's a, like I said, he's an ER and ICU uh, nurse, incredibly gifted, very, very bright, very smart. And understands uh, how things you know were going and could see things firsthand at his facility. So again, I interviewed Brent, and we talked about vaccine mandates. And um, I want to let you guys share with that episode. So I'm going to go ahead and, and stop talking. Let's go ahead and roll the episode or the the segment uh, with Brent and myself. We're interviewed, and I, I I do need to say this: Brent and I had a really really bad connection. So it turned out Amy and I did too, but we were able to fix it before we got too far in. Brent and I had a huge delay. So my apologies to Brent. I think he did a good job. My apologies to you guys watching this because there are some awkward moments. It's not because it was awkward between Brent and I at all. It's just we had to wait. So a lot of appreciation for those reporters that are overseas sometimes and are being interviewed with that five-second delay. It doesn't seem like much, but, man, it really causes problems because you wait, and then you both talk at the same time. And then you, you stop talking because you want to hear what the other person is saying. So that happens a few times. But I think we did a good job. We got through it. Both of us did. And um, I think we had a really good conversation. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Brent on vaccine mandates. Hey, Brent. How are you, man? Hi. Hi, Mark. 
Doing okay today? Yep. Looking forward to I'm going to tell our audience that uh, you and I are dealing with a pretty good two, three second delay. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for jumping on here. Um, I really appreciate it. I, I like, like we've talked before and I know, um, I knew I could probably count on you for sure. I was really glad to see you volunteering. I've always wanted to have you on anyway, but, um, I think this is a conversation that we should start talking about. Everybody is, but no one's really having a good, I guess, wholesome, honest discussion about, you know, the, a mandate that's being put onto people and how that's affecting, I think, the supply and demand and what, what this might mean to us going forward. So, um, like I said earlier, I'm going to kind of play the devil's advocate to you and another guest, so I've got to switch and flip-flop my things, but... I guess, let, you know, let, let's just jump into it because I, I know your time is precious to you. Um, let's talk about, you know, which way you feel. How, how, do, how do you feel? Do you think that this is, uh, that, that people that are working in healthcare and hospitals should be mandated to, to take a vaccine? I do. Um, I feel strongly that we should be mandated on vaccines. I like to rephrase that as a, as a requirement of the job. Um, so I think we should have job requirements. And I think that those job requirements um, uh, do trump our personal liberties in a situation where patient safety and coworker safety and uh, caregiver safety um, are dependent on us following best data. Makes sense, right? It's it's not like it's there are mandates for other things. I mean, last time I checked, most states. If you want to send your kid to school, there are mandates for vaccines that they have to show records and immunizations for in order to be able to get into that school. And last time I looked, I've got kids, and I know that I had to show shot records. I don't know what would happen if I wouldn't have had those, but I'm sure they would have said in order for your child to go to our public school, they need to be vaccinated for you know measles and everything else. Yeah, I, I read a little bit about this, um, and it sounds like all 50 states have mandates for public schools for vaccinations for kids, and 44 have exceptions for religious reasons, and then all states have exceptions in schools for medical reasons. So there are, there are exceptions in public education, but the Supreme Court ruled that mandates were legitimate. Uh, multiple cases in the Supreme Court going back into the 1800s for smallpox vaccines that kids in schools could be vaccinated. And that was, uh, that was uh, in that case, I think they said that personal, like public safety trumps personal liberty in those cases. Well, how that applies now, I mean, we can, right. we can apply it, but I don't know that it's gonna change anyone's mind what the Supreme Court has to say. We have our own opinions on these things. We, yeah, we sure do. And I think that's why, why you know, Again, you and I are friends. We're trying, trying to be tough on you. I will maybe today. I'm going to be tough on my other guests who's also. Oh, please. That's part of the whole thing. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's part of our culture right now. You're making a really good point. It is it is to the point where we've gotten in our country, I think, that people can't have a different opinion other than yours. And if they do, then they're not going to be your friend. I mean, even families to this day are that way. It's it's nuts. Um, and, I, and I hate that about what I'm seeing in, in our country. It didn't, I didn't grow up that way. I'm sure I'm older than you, but I didn't grow up where if someone had a difference of opinion, it, to me, it was always an opportunity to learn maybe another side of the coin, as opposed to you're an idiot and you're wrong and I'm right, which is a, just the way it's become lately, which is unfortunate because I don't think we're going to grow as a society if we don't listen to other people's opinion, but that's just me on a soapbox. I should say you're yeah. an ICU nurse. I haven't told our audience that. 
Um, so you're 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 in an ICU, and I guess you know I want to ask you to tell me kind of what you're seeing, but I also want you to kind of talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing and, and how does that influence the way that you feel the way that you do. Uh, yeah, so I go back and forth, Mark. I work ICU and ER, and um, uh, for the last few years prior to the pandemic, I was mostly working ER travel contracts on the West Coast. And so when COVID hit, um, it was pretty clear that their needs were in ICU, and I, I, I do uh, cross between. So I, I've been working most of the pandemic in ICU in the last oh, six months, more so in the ER. So right now I'm working a, a travel contract in the Bay Area as an ER nurse, three 12-hour shifts a week. And then I'm also working a per diem job and an ER um, here in Santa Rosa. Um, what I'm seeing um, right now is, um, well, let me go back. Early in the pandemic, I chased COVID money and, um, and the adventure of being on the front lines in the, some of the hardest hit places. So I was in New York initially when that all popped off and then went to Connecticut where I spent a few months taking care of ICU patients as they progressively died. Um, in an ICU that I think had like 17 beds that had 90 patients when I got there uh, that were on ventilators and needed to, you know, multiple floors were turned into makeshift ICUs. Later on, I went to Texas, uh, two assignments on the Texas border, uh, these FEMA-funded contracts. We're working six, seven days a week. Again, overrun ICUs. Um, I probably coded 200 patients in the last year. Um, for laymen, that means doing CPR and probably dying patient um you know everybody runs in and it's paged over the intercom and all this and this is something that you know i i do in my profession as a nurse but not with anywhere near the frequency i did in the hardest hit places over the course of the last year and a half um you know to be honest it's traumatizing to be honest i have um lots of co-workers who got sick you know co-workers in the hospitals where i was who passed away due to covid um, I think we're vectors as providers, and we pass it to one another. And especially as a, someone who spent uh, the first part of the pandemic in total isolation in hotels, I was not going to get COVID from anyone other than a patient and a coworker because I had no contact otherwise. And if, if, if right. my coworker could be vaccinated, that would decrease some of my risk when I go to pick up the chair of the same telephone as they do or when I have to share the same refrigerator or break room or water fountain or computer. I wipe down my computer. I wipe down, I clean my hands every time I come out of a room. And then I see a nurse come out of the room, not wash their hands, go straight to my computer, not my computer, but the shared computer that I've been on for six hours. And so we share workspaces and I go home to a hotel, but some of these nurses are going home to their loved ones who are in school maybe at that time, or they're working in a grocery store and the mask policy is loose. And so, they're being exposed in their everyday life as a staff nurse, perhaps living in their community. And I'm being exposed as a traveler trying to help their community because people in their community are, are, are uh, vulnerable to this infection that's spreading through the community. Um, so for me, it's a matter of like weighing the options of like, what is a worse harm? Is it, is it more harmful to shut down schools, uh, make everybody wear masks, uh, shut down businesses, restrict travel, um, mandate vaccines. Those are real harms associated with that. People lose money. Pe kids lose education. People become, uh, it's hard on mental health. It's hard on relationships. I haven't seen my grandmother in two years until a couple weeks ago. I was like, she's 98 years old. Like, I missed opportunities that we have all have had to give up. And is that worth it to 
for a disease that's 99% not going to kill you. Um, so we all fall where like, where is our fear? What do we fear most? And do we fear this deadly disease that we think came from this source that is whipped through the world and, you know, millions of infections and hundreds of thousands of people died, 700 plus thousand in the U.S. have died of this disease versus what's the risk of the vaccine? How many people have died of the vaccine? In my mind, you would need to have 700,000 people die of the vaccine for it to be more risky than the disease itself. So I, I get it. Like, from my perspective, I've seen a lot of the suffering. I've seen a lot of the dying. Um, and that's not true of all ICU nurses who maybe spent the first half of the pandemic in a location where the disease didn't rip through there. So they had a different experience. And, um, but for me, there's a lot of like, there's value in people. I value the sanctity of my body. I don't want people to tell me what to do with my body, right? I try to eat well. I try to exercise. I don't try to put toxins into my body. And I, I respect everyone's uh, rights to do that. But there's also, there's also a harm right. that comes from exposing other people to a deadly disease that I may be carrying that I may be less transmissible if I had a vaccine that doesn't kill 700,000 people the way the disease killed 700,000 people so far. I don't know. I've kind of jumped on a tangent there, but right. um, that's kind of where my experience. No, that's okay. I want, you, I want you to, especially with the personal with delay, belief about risk better. versus harm. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, the, so the question, I and mean, again, playing devil's advocate to you, the question would be for people that say, okay, I'm a, I don't know, 35 year old, you know, nurse, I am, I am healthy, I don't have obesity, I don't have a respiratory uh, situation, I, I'm healthy, and for me, I understand your argument about the 700,000, but for me personally, um, I don't want to put you know, my, my body at risk because I've seen some complications from it, and I feel that maybe that, that the number would be lower because for me personally, I feel that my chances of, of having it something harmful me might be higher with a vaccine than it would be with, without. And I've had that, I've traveled to that argument because you may know that probably my number one question I get every day with my company is, do you guys require the vaccine? And my answer is we don't, but we have a lot of facilities that do. So the, the number one question I get asked is, can I go to a facility that does, do you, can you tell me the facilities that aren't requiring it? And the answer is sure, of course we can. But that's their, their typical thing. They're saying, I don't want to take it because to me, the risk of me taking something that hasn't been tested fully and all the arguments that you and I both have heard are higher for me personally. So it's maybe a selfish thing, I think, is where you're kind of going and as opposed to thinking about the community, the people that you're treating. Well, uh, you know, that, that argument holds more weight for me when you're talking about an individual making that decision outside of their work setting. For as a, as, a, as a citizen who doesn't have a job and I sit at home and I work on my farm and no one comes to my farm, if I'm isolated, if I live in the woods in Alaska and chop wood for, for, for heat, I understand that argument. But when we enter into a contract with an organization whose responsibility is to provide care to the vulnerable, now we're entering into an employment agreement where we're not just looking at what is my personal risk. Um, I feel like I would survive a COVID infection with my inherent immunity as a, someone who has a healthy immune system. I'm 99.7% likely not to, not to die of this, and I'm willing to take that risk. But we're now caring for people who are 
90% unlikely to die because they have all these comorbidities. They are undergoing um, chemotherapy and they're immunocompromised. So even if they got a vaccine, it wouldn't be effective because their immune system doesn't mount uh, an appropriate response. So they don't get the immunity from the vaccine. Maybe they don't even get the vaccine because their doctor says, let's wait another few weeks until your last chemo dose. A friend of mine, I'm referencing her example. She is now a patient in the emergency department, and my coworkers decided that our risk isn't worth it to protect this individual. That's, I don't think that's a decision that we're allowed to make. It, it's akin to, I mean, this may be a rough example, but let's say how many laws are there to protect us from car accidents? Seatbelt laws, speeding laws, don't cross the yellow line law, um, you know, no sucking on your cell phone law. These are all things to protect us against accidental death. Okay, thousands of laws that we all agree on to protect us against accidental death. COVID, since, since the beginning of the pandemic, COVID-19 has been the third leading cause of death in America, above and beyond accidents. There are thousands of laws that we all agree to to protect other people. Maybe I don't care about if I wreck my motorcycle going on 120 miles an hour in a wheelie on the interstate, but there's a law that says I might hit somebody else, and that's not okay to kill mom and two kids coming home from school because I want to stunt my motorcycle, right? In that example, we don't have a problem with society requiring of us that we follow certain things to protect one another. And in this case, like, to me, that's what it is. It's harm versus risk versus liberty versus, um, you know, state sanctioned control over what we do, or in this case, employer sanctioned control. I guess the federal government's requiring that all, all facilities, all healthcare facilities get a vaccine uh, be mandate vaccines uh, uh, per certain parameters at some point, right? And and so I, I, I'm, for the most part, a libertarian. Uh, I'm left leaning in a lot of things that I think are um, things that as a society we do to harm other people. I don't, I, I want us to, uh, how to say this? If it doesn't affect anybody else, like if you want to trip acid in the woods by yourself, I think we should legalize that. But if you want to trip acid and drive your car and wreck it on the highway, we should not legalize that because it affects other people. It's as simple as that. So in, in this case, like, if you don't, if you want to live in the woods in Alaska and not get a vaccine, that's fine. But if you want to work with my friend who is a cancer patient, who comes to the ER and has a 10% chance of dying if she gets COVID because she, she's immunocompromised to a huge degree, then you need to be vaccinated. At least you need to do all the things that modern science says we do to protect those people. And so I understand the distrust we have for modern science. I get that. But the only thing that beats good science is better science. The only thing that beats better bad science is good science. And so like, unless you have science saying opposite, then I think, you know, I, as skeptical as I am of, uh, of authority, I think that, um, it's a no brainer when it comes to the data on vaccine efficacy and what that, what that looks like for, so for you, it's, it's for very, people it's very in my age a, group and also for very much a, a, who are, a job description thing. I mean, yeah, what are we there for? We're there for, I mean, most of our patients are yeah. elderly and, and have comorbidities. That's why they come in. It's very few accidents, honestly. Right. I guess I compare it. Uh, if you've ever listened, to it, I do. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big hockey fan, and I know that every single player in the NHL had to become vaccinated in order to play in the NHL. 
And there's yeah. a big story right now with an NBA player, a few NBA players that aren't willing to do it. That's their choice. They've said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to make these millions of dollars or being depending on what their contract states. But there are a lot of professions in our world and that in order to do your job, there are certain requirements. And you have the God-given right to say, I choose not to. I'm just not going to do that job. And I think that's the, the stance you're making. It's not about whether you believe it's right or wrong for people to mandate or dictate to you what you should or shouldn't do. But in certain cases certain job professions, especially dealing with people that are immunocompromised or have are, are at high risk for COVID morbidity, and you believe very heavily that this is part of the job, either do this job or don't, but don't do this job without it, is your stance. It's the same as not washing your hands when you come out of a patient's room, and I see it every day. Great nurses take off their gloves and they come out of the room, never gel, never wash their hands. I, it drives me nuts because I, I'm diligent about it. And I notice when other people aren't. And it's common. I've worked in 20-something facilities with contracts all over the country. And I see it everywhere. It's not California nurses, New York nurses, Texas nurses. It's everywhere. That's something that we all know is the number one thing you can do to prevent hospital-acquired infection. And we still let it go. Uh, I don't trust it providers to always do the right thing in the right situation. But this is something that you can do one time, maybe twice, is to get vaccinated and provide a similar level of protection as wearing a mask. It's, it's, it's profound to me. I mean, we wear a mask 12-hour shifts now, and it's, it's terrible. Like, it's totally uncomfortable. It's itchy. It's been a year and a half. It's probably never going to change anymore. And from now on, I have to wear my breathe my own saliva and, and breathe this nasty mask all day long, change it occasionally. And that's just part of my job now, but it's part of my job that I accept because my job has changed. Healthcare has changed. Um, Let's talk we had about seven hundred thousand people die of COVID. So your job's changed. I think a lot of these precautions so, that we did. Right. So, how do you think this is going to affect the landscape? You know, again, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent. A big, well, I can't even talk to you. I'm a big proponent of our industry being so heavily based upon supply and demand. I mean, it just affects everything from yeah. seasonality to good hospitals, hospitals with good reputations, poor reputations, really where people want to go. I mean, you're in beautiful Northern California where cost of living is out to the roof, pay packages oftentimes there don't quite, you know, mesh up with, with the disparagement between the cost of living and the rates, but it's where you choose to be because you love that part of the country. There are places where you can make a ton of money, but, you know, you're miserable. It's all that. How do you feel... If, in fact, and we are seeing this, we are seeing the, the health care provider population dwindle because there are people who are saying, nope, not doing it. What do you think this means for, let's just talk about facilities, let's talk about pay rates a little bit, let's talk about the bill we're, rates in which yeah. hospitals are going to have to we're in a world of hurt, Mark. pay in order to oh, be able to count Yeah, we're in a world of hurt. Um, I say that as... I look at myself sort of like an independent contractor. I jump between agencies. I just chase con contracts, and I'm a, like a mercenary. I'll work for whoever's paying the most. I don't care what hospital or where it is. Sometimes I just that's my thing. Sometimes I'd rather be in a location, but if it's not working for me, I'm out. Like I look at this as I'm, I, I work right. independently, and the job market has never been better. So from an individual's business-minded person, my rates are now, my, my take-home pay is now double per hour what it was before the pandemic. And I kept thinking that that was going to go away. So I was going to work seven days a week because after the first two months of the pandemic, we wouldn't see these rates anymore. And then it only went up 
over the next summer. I'm working right. for six days a week for FEMA funded money. And it's, it's upwards of over a hundred bucks an hour plus overtime on top of that for 40 hours a week of overtime. And it's I, okay. This is not going to, this is not going to last. I need to get on this as long as I can, you know, get a nest egg because God forbid they start laying off nurses because they they're going bankrupt. And you know what? It has never happened. It's just gotten better. And there's been a couple lulls where I'm like, Oh God, here we go. I'm not taking a contract for a while. They're too low next month. It's right back up. I'm seeing contracts now that are as high as they have ever been. And I see more and more people leaving the profession. So it's, it's scary uh, for, for my economic like prospects. It's great for what I see happening to American healthcare in general, it's decimating our ability to provide um, adequate staffing and to patients who need us. And that, and that includes hospitals that pay really well in glorious wine country, Northern California, and especially true in North Dakota, where Fargo hasn't been able to get nurses this entire pandemic the way they need. And they're paying through the roof the whole time. And nobody wants to go to Fargo again, if they ever been. And it's like, you know, poorer communities, communities with less funding, less desirable locations are going to have a harder time competing for nurses, especially when their cost of living and the people there, the economy is not as strong as the powerhouse of California that can afford to pay nurses competitive rates relative to Alabama, who's not paying the competitive rates for nurses. And so their their population is suffering for that. And that's it's 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 really unfortunate. The problem is right. we have a bottleneck in nursing education. We're not going to produce any more nurses in 2022 than we did in 2019 or in 2025 if we don't do anything differently. And the, I mean, I would, if I were uh, someone who had the power to change some things, I might turn every military hospital into an education ground so we could, we could fast track thousands and thousands of nurses a month into maybe their LPNs that can continue this program and, and become RNs. But we need, tens of thousands of nurses a month that to replace the tens of thousands of nurses a month. It feels like we're losing. Um, I'm per diem at this facility in uh, Santa yeah. Rosa and we're it's losing definitely, three it's certainly definitely nurses some, per week. Some regionalization to this stuff. Yeah. It's kind of weird because we're, we're I, you, you know, I spent like, my summers like, out in Southern California. I just got back about 30 days ago. And what I was going to say is that it's it's weird because Florida now has seen rates drop. I, I'm looking at those rates. They've gone down for an ICU or an ER nurse like you. Those rates have dropped down gross about a thousand bucks a week, literally in the last two or three weeks. I watched one of the big systems. You sure we all know who they are. Showed their rates at somewhere around 140, 160 down to about 110, 120, which translates typically to about a thousand dollar difference in gross. Where you are. Uh, we saw, I've seen personally, just from my agency, a ton of new opportunities all over the state of California, including up, especially in the San Jose area. I've seen just a ton of needs there, whereas over the summer, they seem to be doing okay with their stuff. So it's it's definitely a, a you know, I guess, yeah. not, not just, I guess it is a supply and demand thing, but where I see it, frankly, is kind of what we were seeing at the very beginning of the pandemic, and that is that a lot of state hospitals, a lot of hospitals in general, private sector hospitals, we're getting some government assistance. And I think one of the big, I guess, right. problems that some people have that have a difference in opinion than you do is that they say eventually the government has forced or is, is trying to force people to take the mandate. And eventually it's going to be the government that's going to have to come in and offer more money. And you and I both know how hospitals work. We go, there's got to be some money there. But there eventually the staffing ratios yeah. are going to make it where private sector hospitals say this isn't worth it. 
and they're going to have to, in order to be able to justify a, a travel rate, and I'm talking everybody from imaging to rehabilitation <clears throat> to laboratories to, to RNs, <clears throat> excuse me, are eventually probably going to have to get some more supplement, sup, uh, well, supplementation here this early 22. I'm just guessing, and I've been doing this for 22 years. I don't see how they're not going to be able to have to yeah. have additional money to be able to afford the, the to keep your desire. Because <clears throat> you're, <clears throat> well, I can't even talk, sorry. You're exactly the type of traveler I love. I love people that chase dollars because it's not a selfish thing. It is. It doesn't reduce your humanitarian reasons for being a nurse. It just means you're finally getting paid for what you you should and get it while the getting's good. You're, you're the same mentality, just different, different business, different. Uh, you know the thing is the way I look at it. From I think all that's going to have to happen. Mark, <clears> I think eventually. I, I work directly for the nurse. <laughs> I, I work. Yeah, I, I work for the patient. That's the way I look at it. And so ultimately the patient is my client and the doctor, I'm sorry, the hospital, the facility, the organization, the agency, and the funding from the feds, none of my business. I don't care. Like I, I take care of this person and I get paid as much as possible for it. I'll take care of this person in, in, in this hospital over here for more money. And I'm going to, my loyalty is to that person, and, but I'm going to take care of that population because there's more dollars coming in for that population. Unfortunately, that means this population doesn't get nurse print. Hopefully this nurse, they get nurse John or someone to come in and work for a little bit less because they wanted to be there. I don't know. Usually that hospital gets no nurses. And we're in a position now where we have fewer overall right. and, um, and we want to work less hours because we've made enough money over the last few years. We're burned out as hell. There's like, I'm hearing reports of a 300% increase in violence in hospitals. We're getting uh, the way that the, the job has changed. The experience has changed. People are more hostile. We're having to... Uh, we're still restricting visitation. We're still requ requiring masks. People are yelling at us about it. People are screaming at us about it. The, the tension is high in hospitals. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think the job has gotten harder. We're more short-staffed. Um, the expectations are higher. Our personal risk um, is higher, both in terms of being victim of workplace violence and hostility against um, mental and physical um what's the word I'm looking for, uh, fatigue and, and cost to ourselves. And then we have this thing where like, we're loyal to our communities, right? We're loyal. If I'm a progressive, I'm loyal to listening to what the thesis is and the latest scientific data is. I'm loyal to Fauci. I'm loyal to what, what the CDC says. I want to um, support the science and do these things. And then, but if I'm loyal to the antithesis of, I don't believe the science. I, I think this is a conspiracy. I, on the far end, you know, I think, um, I'm anti-mask, I'm anti-vax, I'm anti-closures. If I'm anti that, then I'm loyal to my community there. If that's how my family feels, I'm loyal to that. And now I have to step across that boundary to go work in a hospital. So it's like we're fighting against our right. our own communities in this sense, in, a, in, in, in some sense. We're like, it's become, like you said originally, coming back to the vaccine mandate, it, it's become so um, polarized that we have two camps and um, and both have a, a real ethical dilemma where they feel strongly about their stance, yeah. whether the science is right or the science is wrong. And we have to protect one another from a deadly disease or we have to protect our country from authoritarian control and unnecessary mandates of all types. And, Honestly, somewhere in the middle, I think is accurate. Right. I think, I think that's I think that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, 
my, on my end, what I get told I a think, lot from a lot of travelers, I think it's reasonable to, to mandate to vaccines. Tell you, to tell our audience a little yeah. bit of inside stories. It's, yeah. Well, it, what they're saying is that there's a lot of people that have said Pfizer has gone, their stock has literally gone up seven times in the last year and a half. Now, all right. of a sudden, people tell me how many of our politicians have stock in, in that actual company. And so a lot of, I think a lot of healthcare providers that do feel differently than you do are saying to me, those ones that say, do you require, is they feel that it is, it is a money driven thing that there is, um, and again, I'm not always necessarily talking about ICU or ER nurses. I, I think ICU nurses have a little bit more of a, of a, of a firsthand understanding than a lot of, than, than the general healthcare provider. But from some of those that are saying that you can still pass the, the vaccine, or sorry, you can still pass the the, the, uh, the virus off if you have it. There's 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 discussions about that. Sure. You can still get it. So they're saying it's a money thing, and I think that's where a lot of them. And I think you're right. Most of them are are obviously well, talking I, I, about uh, very uh, conservative people that feel it's an overreach. Yeah, I, and I can touch each of those points, and I can understand where all of that's coming from. And I think like a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. We've all been educated differently. You know, I was very fortunate to go to the University of Utah, which is a really conservative uh, state in a conservative university, in my opinion. And I had a, a, a professor who taught us epidemiology and she specialized in epidemiology. She was an expert in this. So I'm not an expert in epidemiology, but I was fortunate to be educated by one. And not everyone had that opportunity. Some folks came from, you know, uh, um, starting at the bedside as a as a as a MA and working their way up through online classes to their registered nurse degree. And they're every bit as good a nurse as any other nurse I work with, but they don't have the basic understanding of epidemiology because they didn't have the professor I had. We're not all, we're not all of the same. I don't understand pediatrics the way that specialty pediatrics nurses do. I certainly try to avoid labor and delivery at any, at any cost. So I'm not the one to come to for that. But there's a lot of nurses that understand um, epidemiology better than I do. And I want to go to them for that. And so I see that the, the more it comes down to education and your understanding of statistics and what is it, what does the prevalence mean? What is a, um, wh how do we interpret the data? Do we know what a meta-analysis is? Can we, not everybody under, understand scientific language or can read a scientific journal and really make sense of what the data is saying and, and understands causation versus, um, correlation and and without that understanding it's easy to be duped by what we hear from a politician or someone whose job it is to to raise concern over whatever it is the party in office is doing and so we have whole tv networks on both sides whose job is to oppose whatever the person in office is saying or at least present all the news to, to lead us in that direction right so so I hear from Fox News that too bad. they have a vaccine right. mandate in Fox News, right? So, so it's like everybody in Fox News is mandated, but they're trying to tell us that your employers should not do that. It's infringing upon your rights, but I'm still going to work at Fox News. I don't know that to be true. That's what I've heard on the news that I, that I listen to. I do listen to Fox News because I want to hear both sides. I listen to CNN. I listen to ZDogMD. I listen to a really useful podcast since the beginning of the pandemic called Coronavirus Daily. It's a radio show, which has incredible information, a, a half an hour worth of new data every single day coming out. Um, Sanjay Gupta had, a, uh, had a, a podcast that went on for about a year. I think it was called um, Coronavirus World on Pause or Pandemic World on Pause or something. 
I would go back and listen to those if you haven't heard those. Uh, there's a lot of great information out there from both sides. And, and some of the reality is sometimes masks don't work in certain situations and it might not be useful. Maybe air travel is safer than we once thought. There's a lot of data that is conflicting to what the, the left thinks is actual science. But there's a lot of things that come out on the right that mm-hmm. are anti-science that I think we have to be realistic about like, okay, that's an opinion that's that's not, um, there's no data to support that, uh, like hydroxychloroquine early on, um, where I think that that was a dangerous um, presumption that we made based on our political assumption. One team says that's a dangerous drug, another team says that's a saving drug, and it's like, it, we don't have any data to support that that's effective. Um, so being science-driven, I think, is important. Being, like, informed is important, and I don't think all nurses are equally informed. I personally spend a lot of time doing this as I'm chasing the pandemic around, so I feel more informed. I know that I have all these biases as well. I know that I was educated by folks who had a certain opinion, and so that influences my opinion. And that the, the, the sources of information that I, I, I track down also influence my opinion. And there's lots of data that I haven't considered. But when we look at harm of vaccination versus harm of COVID-19, it's something that I think both camps can agree on. There's maybe you don't agree with 700,000 people killed due to COVID because of how it's reported on death certificates, which is another complicated issue we can talk about. However, there's not 100,000 people died of, 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 uh, of COVID-19 vaccination. There isn't 10,000. There's very likely zero. And the VARS reports are, you know, in what's maybe 20,000 now, people who have reported deaths following COVID in, uh, vaccinations don't provide any causation. The doctors are on these VERS reports supposed to um, report any death that happened afterwards so that they can be investigated. So it would be, it would be um, uh, unethical to presume that all 20, 15,000 or 20,000 deaths on the VARS report had anything to do with, with, um, with the COVID vaccine without some investigation and causation. For example, I had a patient come into the emergency department a few months ago, a couple months ago, who had um, gonorrhea infection. He didn't know. He just knew that he had a discharge coming from his genitals. Um, but he had been vaccinated two weeks prior. So he comes in and says, hey, I got vaccinated, and now I have this drip. What the hell, dude? You guys vaccinated me. You're my insurance company and my provider, and I have, you know, uh, you're to blame for this thing coming out, and what do we do about it? And so we test. We get the results back. It's gonorrhea. Have you had any, you know, sexual partners? Yeah, I had a couple unprotected sexual encounters in the last couple of weeks, but that has nothing to do with it. How dare you accuse me of that? COVID gave me gonorrhea. Well, it's not gonorrhea. It's COVID. It's coming out. I'm not taking this antibiotic. And so you have like, so does that go down as in the VIRS report? It does. We have to put in the VIRS report that this gentleman had uh, had a, a, an infection yeah. <clears throat> after COVID. But uh, any, anyone reviewing the data, the, the, the individual's task was reviewing the data, toss that out. They say this gentleman admittedly has two you know, uh, new sexual partners without, using sexual, without protection in the last week and happened to have um, the COVID vaccine two weeks prior to that. Okay, it's the same thing with most of the deaths that we see. Is there an increased incidences of cardiovascular death? No, there's not. There's, there's going to be right. 50,000 cardiovascular, I'm going to make this number up. There's 50,000 cardiovascular mo- events every month in the United States. Was there more 
than that. No. So in a family, they might say, well, my, my, my father's never had a cardiovascular event, and he had a vaccine two weeks ago. Now he had a cardiovascular event. It's very normal, natural. Our fear response blames one thing, and it says, yeah, this is, this is why. It may be some component to it. You know, hard to say. But we don't have data saying that this caused that. And unless there's an increased incidence of this overall in the population, we can't tease out if there was a, if maybe it prevented 50,000 cardiovascular events and it caused 50,000 more. In the end, we have a net result of the same number of cardiovascular events, pulmonary emergencies, um, kidney disease. And, and unless you had 70,000 more, 700,000 more, you know, than we would normally see, which is what we had for COVID deaths. We had 700,000 more deaths than we would expect to see in the general population. More than that, actually, because there's also deaths due to depression, homicide, suicide, alcoholism, overdose, all these things that came along with being isolated for months and months on end. Those are very real risks. But overall, to me, the risk of the disease outweighs the risk of the vaccine. And that allows, that allows us to take off the mask sooner oh, when we're outside go. hanging well, out with our stuff. friends. It like allows say, us to go back to school sooner. That, that, that's a positive thing. If the vaccines allow us to have more freedom in our life, then we can eliminate yes. some, of the, some of the behavioral health issues that we're seeing, some of the depression, some of the uh, loneliness, the joblessness, these things that cause real harm in our society. So it's like, how many people are really being harmed by the vaccine? Let's get real. All right. Well, I think I think the, the, the most, you know, obviously, and it's, it's interesting because I do think we are in trouble. The the and, and when I say that, I'm saying like you're talking about the overall just number of people that there are going to be available, the really the supply in general of traveling healthcare professionals. You can say one thing that is it's going to it's going to get smaller and we can argue or we can talk or we can probably, you know, guess, I guess, for lack of a better word, of what it's going to be like as far as the demand is going to be with regard to, to this. But we can say if it stays consistently. Like it, like it has in any year, including this year, then there, there's going to be less people that are going to be available to provide healthcare, which I guess, like you're saying, should be a positive, positive thing for financial, you know, gains for for tr- people that are willing to put their whole, you know, career on the line and go and take 13 week contracts. And you and I both know there's never really even a daily guarantee, let alone a 13 week guarantee. Yeah, no doubt, so that's, not that's anymore. A good thing, but um, I agree with you. I think I think the rates. Uh, I said it. As soon as we started seeing the the the, the Delta variant, and really if anyone wants to say, I said this is going to stay for a while. And then when I started hearing about you know the fact that there was a lot of healthcare professionals that were going to refuse to take the vaccine, I said everyone asked me that's outside all my buddies and all my friends, my summer buddies down in California, my surfing family, my family like, what's this mean for your business? I'm like, I don't know, but I, I do know that for those people that are willing to travel. It can't be a bad thing for them, but I, I do worry about the burnout factor because there's going to be some yeah. um, some maturation of that too. You're doing fine right now. You're in good shape. You're healthy. You're young, but you yourself are going to get burnout. You're going to take a 13 week assignment off, maybe, or or a month off. You just probably oh, I've already done it, Mark. I've taken off months in this pandemic, and I've absolutely burned out. Yeah. <laughs> one of my one of my guys burned out today at four o'clock. <laughs> Four o'clock North Carolina time. He's heading to Europe for three weeks, and then he's starting on assignment back when he comes back, and he's doing it all on on COVID money. 
And I'm, I'm like, man, his name's Mark too. I'm like, you deserve it. Go take your wife. They're going to go to Europe. He needs a break. He's a PACU nurse, but he's being floated a lot into, you know, ICU holding, as, as you see is common. He's, he's burnt out, and he's earned every bit of this trip. He's never been to Europe. He said, I don't think I could have gone to Europe um, at my age three, four years ago. Now I've got money in the bank. I'm going to go and, and see some of the, with this beautiful world of ours, and he's lucky to be able to do it. And, and that's great. So I do think there's not only going to be a, a reduction in healthcare providers, but I think those of you that are still doing this, you're going to get reduced too. And I mean, I, I guess if you're lucky enough to be fortunate enough to be able to be accepted into, a, in your case, a nursing school, and you're young, you got a hell of a future ahead of you. But for those people that are on waiting lists to be able to get in there, um, you're right. They're going to have to figure out a way to get more education out to more people. Gosh, and it'll be a booming, a booming opportunity. My daughter is wanting to become an OR nurse. And uh, I don't think, living with me her entire life, I don't think she ever considered <laughs> that until about a year ago, except for she's one of these weird people that likes to look at operating shows. But um, at any rate, I really appreciate it today. I loved I loved your candidates. I, I, think, yeah, I think, you know, just to put my personal opinion, on, I, I like your mentality, regardless of whether I, you and I are politically aligned, we are aligned and, and we may or may not be, I'm not going to say, <laughs> but the fact is that you have an open mind, you understand, which is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. And I'm going to ask my next guest, I want to make sure people understand the other person's side and you clearly do. And I think that's really healthy. I think it's to understand how some people think we need, and I'm not trying to get really philosophical on, on this, but I do think that it that should, you know, I guess be absorbed with healthcare professionals. Well, I think I see it. I literally hear about bullying stories every day of anti-vaxxers, the people that want it, that believe in the vaccine, and vaccinated people that believe you're an idiot if you don't. And it's I hear it from both sides of travelers. I got bullied at this hospital. I got bullied at this hospital. And it's amazing how it's, it depends upon if you're li- working in a conservative or liberal hospital setting. And what you're feeling, it's unfortunate, yeah. but I think having an understanding about the way other people think and having um, an appreciation for that, and, and still, again, having your, your opinion where it is very career-specific. You don't have to. I mean, we all know our congressmen, sorry, I got a boxer, Bart, we all know we have congressmen and senators that don't have to take the vaccine, but they, don't, they aren't taking care of people with, with uh, they're not around other people, except for hell, half of those people are really, really old, unfortunately, yeah. so maybe they are in danger of getting each other uh, getting each other in trouble but it, it I want is to address a two things. specific thing in your opinion and I hear that yeah um, one that you mentioned before we go um, the argument from the other side that I do understand is that you can still transmit uh, the virus if you're vaccinated and so what's the point and while we don't have hard data on some of this um, it's widely believed that the viral load changes in other words the um, amount of virus that we, uh, viral particles that we expel into, uh, that, that replicate in our bodies, and then that we can expel into the environment. For example, a sneeze uh, from one individual who has a high viral load will be more infectious than a disease from someone who has a sneeze from someone who has a lower viral load. So while we, while we can still be carriers of the that disease. That makes total sense to um, a non-medical person like myself. Right. So we can still be carriers of the disease if we're vaccinated, but our viral load is thought to be 10, 20 percent uh, times lower. In other words, when you sneeze, that viral, the viral particles in the air would arguably be 10 times less um, infectious. Um, that's significant. And I think it's, uh, it's disingenuine for the media who may or may not understand the subtlety of this to say you can still pass 
the coronavirus to someone if you're vaccinated, but you're less likely to. And I think without putting that caveat on there, um, it makes it seem like it's completely pointless when I think there's a lot of points. If we could reduce transmission by 10 times, this whole thing would be wrapped up by now, in my opinion. So that's an effective, that's an effective um, uh, vaccine, in my opinion, if it's, if it's going to protect me 93% originally, maybe less than six months later with the Delta variant, 85%, I'm protected. But my viral load when I'm, when I'm transmissible is going to be 10 times less then the spread is going to slow down. And we see that in the data in places where it's high vaccination rates versus places with low vaccination rates. And we saw that throughout the summer daily on the colors of, on the map as to what places were vaccinated versus what places where we saw um, from an ignorance, just being completely ignorant on this subject, and I, and I definitely am. Does that same thing apply to those people that are that have had COVID, that have that that now have recovered and carry that same that this, same viral load? Is it lesser for the for those this is that, that have had it and have a less load? Yes, um, that's likely to be the case too. Now I don't know where if there's a consensus to say what is who has more protection if you are vaccinated twice with uh, mRNA vaccine, or if you've had natural immunity, and how infected were you? Did you get a big infection that you built a lot of antibodies? Did you not? So we don't have data to compare the two, but it's widely thought that it's similar. A vaccinated person and someone who has um, natural immunity from having gotten the infection have a similar, I'm guessing, um, because I hear some from both sides that it's a little bit more better this way or that way. But I don't think there's any question that having both had a, a COVID infection in the past and natural antibodies built for that and having natural antibodies built after an artificial COVID exposure to a spike protein in the vaccine. Having both of those, I think, is um, we have a consensus that that's going to be safer than either by itself. I don't think people should go out and, and get the actual COVID virus. I know some communities have done that where they have COVID parties. I know healthcare practitioners who are like, yeah, I'll just get it sooner than later because I'm going to get it eventually. I don't want to have to deal with all of it. I'll just get it now, early on. And maybe with the Delta variant, there was some, there was some wisdom to that because the Delta variant, um, much, much higher viral load, arguably more deadly than the original A, A strain that came out and hit New York and the rest of America initially. That maybe getting that infection, you wouldn't have gotten as sick as if you waited and finally got the infection through Delta. So maybe getting it early would have been better. However, if you got an early infection, Delta or otherwise, and then got a COVID vaccine, you're providing the highest level of protection for yourself. And as a, in the case of a healthcare worker, you're providing the highest level of protection for your coworkers, your family, and most especially the patients who were being paid all these all these big bucks to go protect. So. In my mind, I, I, right. I feel like you wanted to make two points with what's in there. Encouraging, anyone, anyone encouraging what we point don't. Two was. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I forgot, and, and we've probably touched on it in some way, so I, I can't remember the second. Point. <laughs> Whatever. It's good. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I see. I was talking about. I could go on and on, about. so it just I cut can't me remember off. Now either. No, no, no. I, I, well, I tell you what, I would, I want to have you back on again because I'd love to have a conversation with you that's, that's more, I think, financial. And um, I mean, again, I just, if you listen to anything I've ever done, there was a prototype of a traveler that, that I love. And I, you know, again, and it has to do with the fact that I've always believed 
that healthcare providers should, travelers especially, I mean, it's one thing you want to work in the safety of, of, you know, San Jose Medical Center up there or up in, the, up in Oakland, wherever it is, that's fine. But if you're going to take the risk and walk away from that tenure, that career and become a traveler, I've always felt that you, you should make more money. And I, you may know me well enough to know that I believe agencies like mine make too much money. I just think that's the case. I think there is a an opportunity for the pie slices to be uh, slightly uh, adjusted. I think they're getting adjusted automatically, but I will also say in the same breath that I think the bigger yeah. the bill rate, the bigger the margin, because you can hide a bigger margin when you're still paying a yeah. traveler a ton of money. And a lot of travelers are going, I don't care. I'm making seven grand a week, but they don't care that the agency could be paying yeah. them eight grand a week, but they're not. Right. But I'd love to have you back on again, because I think you and I, I have a good conversation. I respect that, Mark. And that's, we have a yeah, that's connection. why I'm it's talking to you about it, because, uh, yeah, it's been tough. It's okay. I, uh, I, I really admire your podcast. I've listened to a lot of them and I appreciate your candidness and willingness to advocate for the traveler and our, uh, and sharing of inside information, industry information, I should say that a lot of travelers are not pretty to, which puts us at a disadvantage. Um, yeah, I'd love to get back and talk about, uh, how, how screwed I think this whole industry is with you someday and about how I think travelers get the short end of the stick and that it should be like real estate where, where a broker gets a 6% transparent fee and all, all the bill rates are all laid out and everybody signs it and you're held to a standard like a, like a, like a real estate company would and, and have to have certifications to do this so that you're not cheating the, the, uh, the buyer of the property like you wouldn't cheat the hospital or the nurse. And so I have opinions on this, but let's make that another day. I'm curious to hear what your other guests have to say, because I'm sure they have valid points and, uh, and uh, appreciate your open-mindedness. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great to have you on. Thanks for doing this. I can't thank you enough. I'm going to get this other side wrapped up and we're going to get this episode out fast. I've been really dying to do this. I just think, again, we'll wrap this up. It's good to have the conversation. And I think communication and talking about things openly, honestly, transparently is, I, I, again, this is the first time I haven't seen healthcare providers not willing to do that. It's usually agencies versus you guys. Now, sometimes it's, it's you guys against each other, and that's crazy. But I appreciate you at least maybe starting the mm. conversation. I hope this will have some history behind it. I think six months from now, people can still go back and listen to what you had to say, and um, it will be valuable, I think, for people to really kind of get um, either a yes, an attaboy to you, or... Oh, yeah, this is going down in history, sense. huh? That's what I was hoping to do. Five years from now, they're right. going to look back and go, like, that guy was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it ages well for both of us, right? Timestamp this morning, All right, Mark. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Brent. Yeah. Will Thank do. You. Okay, so there you go. So I, I thought Brent did a really, really great job of explaining his, his, his uh, point. Again, we're talking about a very, very smart, educated travel rn who has seen it all brent has seen every single part of this from day one as is my next guest and um, it was really interesting to hear his opinion and i think again hopefully that people that are very anti-mandate can understand some of the points that brent make you know i i think that's 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 normal uh, and i think that there be made some very good points regardless of how you feel there's lots of things he said you can't it cannot be argued with and i really really thank him for coming on and openly sharing his opinion you know on that so um again brent thank you excellent job and um, i appreciate it so next up i've got amy amy is uh also an er nurse she has worked in the bay area she's not a traveler um, she has worked in the Bay Area for, I think, most of her career. She has 
been in the ER. Well, as you'll hear from the interview, she was in the ER from the beginning right up till now. And obviously, Amy has a difference of opinion. Amy does not believe in the in the vaccine mandates. And as a matter of fact, Amy has resigned from her position um, at, at her facility, which is um, just shows how, how, I guess, dedicated and, and not dedicated, what's what I'm looking for, how important this is to her for someone to walk away from a travel career, I'm sorry, not a travel career, a, a healthcare career paying very, very well in Northern California and to completely change her life over her belief on this shows you what her opinion is and how strongly she feels about that. So uh, again, Amy and I had a little bit of some delays. We fixed some things, but um, it was all on me, both Brent's and Amy's. So uh, we we started recording. We finally figured out a better place where I could get a little bit stronger signal, and I think it went over pretty well. There are some times, again, when there is that delay, so we are not talking over each other. We are uh, trying to wait and pause, and it's just hard. It's very difficult. But again, I think Amy did a great job explaining her stance on this. And again, if you are pro-mandate, I would like you to listen to Amy and really uh, listen to some of the opinions she has. And I'm hoping that you can find some commonality and some common ground with some things that make sense. So without further ado, let's run the uh, interview that I did with Amy uh, on pro, I'm sorry, (laughs) anti-vaccine mandate. Hey, Amy, how are you? Hi, how's it going? Good. Thanks for joining me. I I really appreciate this. As as you know, it's... um, I think this is one of those topics that um, we're so open in our industry when it comes to dealing with patients and when you, you, know, you tell people when things are going to hurt, when things are going to stink, when things are going to be easy. And when it comes to talking about things that are important in our industry, no one's really talking about this. We're just talking about it kind of, you know, people are throwing their opinion out there, maybe not so much on, on nursing sites and, and that sort of thing. But then someone will counterpunch and like beat them up about their opinion. And I think this is one of those things we just should start talking about. It's going to affect us. And I think... Like I mentioned to Brent, this is going to be a topic that is going to affect travelers. Now, you've told me your story, and I'd like you to tell our, our listeners and our viewers this story, but I guess let's just jump in. I want you to kind of tell me, if you can, and tell our audience kind of what it is that kind of brought you to, um, I guess, overall your opinion on, on being basically, I'll just say it, being against vaccine mandates for hospital employees. Let's talk a little bit about what got you there, your history, your life, and, and, and what made you make that decision and what you were seeing in, in those facilities, the facility you were working in as an, as an ER and critical care nurse. Okay. Well, thanks, Mark. Um, I'm happy to be here as well. Um, so my name is Amy. Um, I have been a registered nurse for 11 years. Um, nine of those years were, have been spent in the emergency department. Um, my last job, I actually... Um, my last day was September 3rd, so um, not too long ago, about a month and a half ago. Um, and since I started nursing, I've never been without a job. I've worked my entire 11 years straight. So um, um, that's just a little bit about me. I'm also a military veteran, an Army veteran. I was in the military for four years um, prior that. to going back to school for nursing. And so, um, and spent a year overseas in Iraq. So um, just... Lots of high intensity um, jobs <laughs> throughout my life. Right. Um, so um, I want to start by saying that um, I, I think it's really important. You know, I've received every vaccine there is out there. Um, gosh, I don't. I mean, smallpox, which we don't get anymore. Um, oh, I don't even know. If I could think of them, I would let you know. But lots of them. I mean, we're just filled up in the military. We're we're given everything 
under the sun. Um, and so to say that I'm against vaccines, um, you know, I don't really think that makes a, um, I don't think that's, that's not very accurate, um, because I received all those, um, over all the years. Um, the thing about this one in particular, the thing about this that has, um, been a problem for me is the mandates. Um, so I believe that our bodies are completely sovereign. Um, I believe that we have a choice to put in our bodies, what we want to put in. Um, and that is where the mandate stuff um, bothers me. Um, I, I have been asked before, you know, what's the difference between this one and the flu vaccine? I said, well, the flu vaccine has been out for many years and had lots of, lots and lots of studies on it. Uh, this one has not. So, um, and I have personally never been forced to get the flu vaccine. Um, I know that there are hospitals that have done that. I have never worked for one that has. So um, it has been my choice not to receive that the last four years. Um, before that, I did get it. I had an issue with it one year, and then I decided not to get it anymore. Um, so the last four years, I have not received a, a flu vaccine. Um, but again, that's my personal choice because of my personal experience. Right. And I think that that is the difference here. Um, so that that's that's a little bit about. Um, right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, did, did your hospital ever talk to you about any kind of a, a protocol where um, you had told me previously on our in our pre-interview that you would actually feel you, you had COVID. Were you pregnant when you had it? When you think you got it? Oh, so, um, so I, um, so I've been working obviously in the medical field all the way through, um, the pandemic. Uh, yeah. so when COVID started, I was pregnant. Um, I actually was pregnant with my, my daughter, um, had my baby, um, went back to work. Um, and in December of last year actually ended up with COVID. So I had COVID, my entire family had COVID. Um, my girls had COVID. Yes. My, my, little she was a few months old at the time she got covid um and yeah i was down for uh, several days i was i was sick was not fun i used my inhaler for a couple of months like it, it wasn't a fun fun ordeal um i got covid before the vaccine was even available right um roll around to january when it really came out uh, or it was december or january when it was available to us um and since i had just had it i said you know what no i i don't think that i want this right now i've already had it i have natural immunity um and, you know, I want to sit back and kind of see how this plays out. This is what I'm comfortable doing. And that's my decision. Um, so, you know, fast forward, it's been months and months and months after I had had active COVID and my coworkers have already had um, uh, started getting the vaccine um, and they come down with this mandate on us um, and they don't really um give us any leeway it's just kind of like one day there's not a mandate and the next day it wasn't like talked to about or like we weren't talked to about it wasn't brought up with management it was just like one day it wasn't there the next day it was like yes here's the date if you don't get it by this date you're going to be fired um there was no like protocol of like hey like here's going to be your options here's um how we're going to roll this out here's how we're going to um there was just no information given and so um myself and several other healthcare workers were just kind of like dumbfounded. We're like, yeah, like, shouldn't we talk about this? Shouldn't we, shouldn't this be a thing that like is rolled out? We're told how it's going to play out, um, how this is going to affect our job, what we need to do. Um, and instead it was just like, you know, basically get it or you're going to be fired. So you work through the, the, the majority of what you call the pandemic in, in 2020. Yes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you got pregnant you and with a newborn. You believe you got it in <laughs> December of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So a little, little, little less than a year ago. 
and now mm-hmm. vaccine came out. So you got a, you got the pre-variant version of COVID in your mind. Maybe mm-hmm. you did, maybe you didn't. Um, but now all of a sudden you, you've worked through, you've got them through all that tough stuff. You've, you've brought what I would imagine would be millions of dollars of patients through the ER, hundreds of millions potentially, who knows. You're working at a big hospital. We won't say which one, but it was a big facility out there. And now, really now big. all yes. of that, all of that is gone, and it's get this or you're, you're fired. Correct. Yeah. Was um, there any consideration given to the fact that you've had that you believe you have antibodies in your body at all? Was that was that brought up, or is there any yes, anybody yeah. that talked about that? I mean, because I mean, again, I'm just kind of ignorant because I'm not a healthcare professional, as we already said, and I I don't know if my opinion matters. But whenever I've had the flu, I've gotten the flu. I think when I've had a flu shot, so that means I can I have gotten it at that point. I think the years that I didn't get a flu shot and I got the flu, I never got it a second time, to my knowledge, and could be wrong there. But was that? And again, I know it's a different thing; it's a whole different thing. Where we have, like you said, a lot of knowledge on the flu. We don't have a lot of knowledge on this. But was there ever any consideration about what about testing for antibodies once a month or once every couple of weeks for everybody, not just those that haven't gotten an immunization? So. So this is how, um, and I think it's important to kind of understand a little bit about how it rolled out. And yes, I did ask those questions. Um, so it was rolled out that, um, we would all have to be tested twice a week. Um, you could write a religious exemption. They may or may not accept it. Um, and basically like, um, and you wouldn't have a sticker on your badge. So everybody would know that you, you didn't have your, your, your vaccine. At that point I asked, um, our higher up, I said, okay, like, I understand, like, we're going to, we're going to get this, we're going to get these testing two times a week, make sure that we don't have it to pass it on to anybody. I said, um, what about the people that have already had the vaccine that have it in our department right now? Um, and that was pretty much like, well, um, those are breakthrough cases. And I said, okay, well, we have a lot of breakthrough cases. Did I hear that right? Did I hear you right? You've got people that have had the vaccine that are in your department at a surf turn that were, that were, that had also contracted COVID after the vaccine. Yes. Yes. And, and so I asked about that, you know, we have staff members who are out with COVID after being double jabbed. So my question is, um, do we want to test everybody in the department? Uh, because obviously you can still get it, you can still pass it, you can still carry it. And this is about six months after the initial one. So probably um, about the time that they said that this vaccine wanes. But nonetheless, there's a bunch of people that have already had it, had the vaccine, and that are are coming down um, in our department. So um, I ask that question. I ask, is natural immunity going to be considered? Uh, Because they've already had it. So um, there are studies out that are showing that natural immunity is just as good, if not better, than the vaccine itself. And so I asked about that and I was told very frankly, no, immunity is not going to be considered. Um, I asked them if the uh, testing twice a week was punitive since I have already had um, COVID or our staff members could get COVID even though they've had the vaccine, um, if, this, if this was a punitive action against us. Um, and they basically said no comment, but that that was not the reasoning. Um, so they didn't give me a clear answer, but basically just said that the, that was not the reasoning. Um, and I said, okay, well, if we're going to test us, then we need to test everybody. Um, and that, again, was just kind of ignored. Um, so my position on this is that um, this, this is a newer vaccine. 
We don't have a lot of data on it. It has not been around for years. Um, you've had your staff working in very, very hard conditions for a year and a half. Right. Um, and now you're forcing them to make a decision to keep their job or to keep their body autonomy. Um, and like for me, that was, that was it for me. Um, and so you quit, you walked, you said enough. So I not. did. I did. I, I wrote a resignation letter, um, after working for the same company for nine years. Um, I have a retirement, I have, you know, benefits, I have all this stuff and I walked away from all of that. Um, so it was not an easy decision. It was a huge decision. Um, and here we are, you can see that my stuff is empty behind me because we were in the process of packing up and selling and moving um, and trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do next. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I, I'm not here for a pity party. I am okay with that. It was my decision to make. But um, that did is ever, did, I guess, what our... Innocently, did it ever cross your mind? I mean, for to play devil's advocate, I've got to do it obviously for everybody. So my, my question yeah. innocently for you is, did you ever just say I'll do it, and it's 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 it it potentially could I mean was it because you were worried it was going to hurt or not not hurt physically I meant because it could do harm if it if it was it was that why you said yeah I know it's more principle for you but was there also consideration to ever say I, I'm going to do this because my career and the, the the time I put in this facility isn't worth this principle I'm just going to go and do it because what could it hurt I um so. I believe that there is no medical procedure, no medication, no drugs, no therapies that should ever be forced on a patient. Um, coercion is forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do. That, so that is a form of co co bleh, coercion. <laughs> um, and if, even if, um, so no. No, I mean, I, I didn't consider it. It wasn't a consideration for me. Um, I had already made up my mind that this was not a vaccine that I wanted to get uh, for personal reasons um, at this time. All right. And I stand by I'm that. I'm question. not ready to be. I won't even be yeah. that political, but I've asked, I asked Brent the same thing. Okay. Do you think in your back of your mind that there's an awful lot of money involved in, in this vaccine and these, these mandates? For me... I, again, I'm, I'm not going to tell my opinion, but there's a part of me that says, I mean, like I said, I know that one of the companies, their stock grew by seven times in, in 11 months, seven times. So if you had $100,000 in that in that company stock, you would have had $700,000 11 months later. And mm -hmm. I asked an instant question about how many people that are making these laws have stock in those companies. And I think they're starting to figure some of that out now. But for me... No matter how I feel, there's a little part of me that goes, boy, that's that's an awful lot of money. It's an awful lot. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that our government's paying for. That seems to be um, money's the root of all evil. You cannot dismiss, our audience can't dismiss that there could be something behind that. Because what you're telling me doesn't make a lot of sense. If the idea is to keep patients safe, right? That's the that, that's the idea then what would it matter what the root of your immunization or your, your antibodies was? I'm just being completely ignorant. What would that matter? I, um, well, that is, I mean, when you go deeper and you look deeper into this, that's 100% true. I mean, we are looking at um, a lot of money changing hands on a pharmaceutical 
a pharmaceutical drug, it doesn't matter what form it's in, whether it be a vaccination, whether it be insulin or whatever it is, a pharmaceutical drug, and they are forcing it into every human. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they are taking away your jobs and your liberties and your rights. Um, as a patient a advocate... When I hear you say it, I, I guess I, I, I felt... And again, just so I'm being real clear to our audience, I mean, when I talked to Brent, you know, the, he made some very compelling arguments. When I talk to you, you do the same thing. It's so, it's really fascinating. And the last thing I guess I'll comment just to our audience is just my two cents worth is it's amazing to me. I understand people like myself. If, if I'm sitting there with one of my buddies and we're having a, you know, a, a beer somewhere and we're arguing over this, that's because you got two ignorant people that aren't in the front lines that are having discussions based upon what we hear. I'm not in an ER. I'm not in an ICU. What blows me away is that people that are in the ICU, in the ER, can have such a difference of opinion tells me that the opinions of each other kind of need to be heard because it, it isn't, you would think it'd be concrete, you know, right? That for, for an ignorant person like me, you would say, well, if I talk to 10 well, nurses, nine of them are going to agree with some side. And it's not what I'm hearing. And, and I really, I want to make this clear too. Like my parents are over 70 and both of them, you know, decided to get the vaccine. And there was not a part of me that said, don't do it. Like sure. there was not a part of me that was like, what are you guys thinking? I was like, you need to do whatever you feel like you need to do to feel safe. Um, like you said, it's more, for you, it's more of the mandate, not, not anti-vax, yes. which is, I so think. So my it, problem with this is the mandate forcing people to get something that they do not want to place in their body. And then there is nobody there to take care of you if you do have adverse reactions. And there are adverse reactions to this. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. There are. There is no medication, pharmaceutical drug that is out there that is 100% safe for everybody. That, 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 that doesn't exist. Everything okay. has, ha, can affect and can cause harm to somebody. So, we don't, and you're um, saying we don't really know who those individuals are yet because it hasn't been out long enough. No, and we don't. And, and, and so you need to, a very reasonable thing to say. You need to make that choice for yourself. Is, does this feel safe to me? Do I feel like this is the right thing for me? Um, and to take jobs away, I mean, this is just a whole, as a patient advocate, I, I, I would never force any kind of procedure on a patient. We, we, we have, um, we have people that have religious beliefs that won't accept blood. We have people who have uh, holistic beliefs that won't receive radiation. And it might save their lives. I mean, that is that is a true well, thing. Maybe it I've will been, save I've their lives. But that is their you, My audience knows this, but you may not. But I have a 20-year-old cancer-surviving daughter that got neuroblastoma when she was five and a half years old. And every time we had oh, a fork wow. in the road, my wife and I had choices. And we could have refused treatment for sure. Um, there, we even went on an antibody study. I mean, so there were things we chose to do. Um, but if, if I'm not correct, there was never a time when it was, this is what you're going to do. Now, I mean, I right. did whatever I felt like I needed to do to save my daughter's life. And my wife and I were on the same of page, course. thank goodness, on all of that. But it makes sense. I guess, I guess I, I think it's important. And I really appreciate your perspective um, coming from that. Because for you, it is, it, again, like I keep saying, it seems to be more of a personal choice, which... Again, as, as trying to be a neutral host, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, I don't see how we've ever in the history of our country had... I mean, I know that there's been... I guess the one thing I did bring up to Brent was I said that I know that there are times when, for example, we have to have our kids... A certain immunization has to be conducted, I believe, in most states in order for your child to attend public school. And mm -hmm. 
he compared this with that, saying that, well, it's kind of the same thing. It's your job if you choose not to. But like you said, it's not a forced thing. You can quit your job. You can do whatever you'd like to do. How do you think this is going to affect, I guess, to kind of really pull the conversation where we want to go with this, how do you think this is going to affect? I know you're, you're done. You never really were. You, have you ever traveled before? I don't think you had, right? You've talked about no, it. No, I haven't. Mm-mm. But you can talk from a, from a staffing ratio perspective, especially in, in an emergency room, emergency department. How do you feel this mandate is going to affect hospital staffing over the next six months, six years even, with, with how many people are going to choose to maybe will and won't go to nursing school and whatnot and the education level that we have there? I, um, I'm curious to see. Um, I know that I've personally talked to a lot of um, nursing friends who um, decided last minute to get it because they didn't want to lose their jobs. But I've also talked to others who've had religious exemptions that are in right now, but they're under review. And they're telling me that they're going to walk if those religious exemptions are are pulled. Like they're not, they're not going to do this. They feel the same way. And they're like, I'm not going to. So I think they've only seen one wave of healthcare workers leaving the bedside. Um, There's other, so there's healthcare workers personally that I know that are leaving the bedside because of unsafe working conditions because of staffing now. So you're getting a wave after wave of losing healthcare workers, nurses, techs, um, radiology. I mean, all of it. Um, you're going to, you're going to see them leaving the bedside and it's going to be catastrophic for our, it's going to be catastrophic for hospitals. Yeah. If they think that they're going to make money off of forcing us to make something we don't want to, what's going to happen is the whole system is going to fall apart and they're going to lose a lot more money because of that. So one pharmaceutical drug, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why, why risk your hospital, risk people's life over one pharmaceutical drug and, and it's only and we're only using it still for emergency use only. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, my, my, my thing I said, uh, all my buddies were asking me this summer about it. Cause I mean, people that know what I do, they're always like, what, what's going to happen with your industry? Like, like I'm some sort of guru. Like I know, I don't know any better than anybody knows, <laughs> but I said, it cannot be a lot saying, of traffic. <laughs> right? I said, it can't, it can't continue because what's going to happen in my opinion, I'll say this for our audience and you guys can see if I'm right in six months or a year. But I do believe that there are a lot of people, I said this six months, or I'm sorry, three months ago, that will be just like your friends that will all of a sudden go, okay, I'm going to do it. And they, there will be. There will be that amount of people that say it's not worth it. There will also yes. be a lot that won't. And I do believe there will be facilities that will figure out a way. Maybe it's going to be state regulated. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it will be system regulated that will say we need to not have this be mandated. Because it's still, I think it still is a choice. It's not. There is no legal government recommendation. And there, there is there is some hospitals standing up to it. I don't know um, how many, and I don't know exactly where they're located, but I have heard, um, I've had nurses reach out to me from everywhere. Um, I've heard it's in the rural areas uh, mostly. And, and what I said was if you get some yeah, major hospital, I mean, hospital they just, they major city. They can't afford to lose their staff. They lose their staff, people are going to die. So right. That's um, what I said is it'll take one major hospital, a major city, a large one, to say, here we go, everybody, like, let's take here in Denver where I'm at. If one of the hospitals in Denver says we're not going to do it, every nurse will run to that facility. They will have better nurse-to-patient ratios. They'll have better patient service. They'll have better customer service. Um, they'll have better, uh, less errors, like you said, and everything else. And all of a sudden, that whole city will start to go, well, we want to do it too. That's the two predictions I'm making. And I don't think it's going to be one or the other. No one's going to win here. It is going to be a combination, I believe, of, of those two things. But what I can tell you is that people like me, 
and and you you know now very soon we're the general public when I need to go into ER and I have to wait five hours because and you know you're seeing things becoming exacerbated and worse because of wait times and you name it something is going to have to change in regard to either people's impression of whether or not they're going to take it which means more people will have to or people are going to have to the facilities are going to have to figure out a way because we all know one thing I will tell you is much like everything else in our country hospitals are run by a lot of money and they don't mm-hmm. want to lose that money and if they're they bottom the line they don't want to have, lose their bottom right and if somebody across town is is getting more patients in because they have something so I, it's you're right it's going to be fascinating it's unfortunate that it's it's fascinating from a scary standpoint we can't just kick back and watch it like we can a lot of other industries with this industry, you can watch it, but it's not fun to watch this, how scary and crazy it's going to be. And I think that no matter what your opinion is, whether you are pro-mandate or anti-mandate, no one in their right mind thinks that this is going to be fun to watch unfold before us. And I think it will get ugly. I think it's going to get scary. And um, I, I have parents that are, my, and my wife's parents are, and my parents are in their late 80s, mid-80s, and my wife's parents are, are 10 years younger. And uh, so it's scary to me that um, people that need health health care, especially like that. And I worry about, you know, the other thing with these mandates that I is that setting um, a separation, it's even setting a separation in the hospital. So as a patient going in, um, you are aware that every single I mean, even for me, like if I go into a hospital right now, I know that every single nurse pretty much that's there. uh, whether they wanted to or not, were forced forced to get this. But is that going to affect the way that I'm treated there? Mm-hmm. You know, you wonder that. Like, I've never treated anybody different based on a. Um, gosh, I mean, we have alcoholics, we have psych psych patients, we have all these different types of patients that come in, self inflicted, you know, issues, um, diabetes that's not been controlled. <laughs> All of that stuff. And we care for those patients. So um, I just hate seeing the divide even in the hospital that and that's that's one of the other reasons why I walked away was I was just like, how, how, how can you call yourself a healthcare worker, but you're not treating patients the same based on a medication status or, you know, pharmaceutical status like that just blows my mind. Um, and I couldn't tolerate that. That's not something I can tolerate. I, I'm not going to stand there and be okay with it. I'm not okay with it. I, I think so, the, the most honest thing I can say is it feels to me like each side of this issue, and it's very political, is pointing to the other side saying, you're stupid. That's what. That's the way it feels when you really step back. And I don't think anybody that's listening to or watching us would disagree with that. No matter how all of the people that are watching us feel, you or I, could, we may or may not feel differently about it. And I said the same to Brent. It feels that way, that if you, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're a, you're a stupid person if you do take it, you're a stupid person if you don't take it. There, it just seems like, and, and it's there, weird. And there are so many of, there are so many humans right now in this world that, that are not on that spectrum, that have gotten it and still support people that have not gotten it, who have not gotten it and still support people getting it. And yeah. that, my point is, is that there's a divide because it's being forced on us. There's not a divide because we're human beings that are like going after each other. There's a divide being pushed on bad. us, and that's that's not okay. You're right. It that's really not is, okay. It really is a shame because I have friends at my hospital right now that 100% support me, all completely vaccinated, and were proud to get their vaccines. Were happy, really felt like they were doing their part, and at the same time, are like, actually, I see where you're coming from. I understand why you're standing your ground, and I'm okay with that. So, the divide, I don't think, 
I think if you look at it like um, from a large perspective, they're mm-hmm. telling us there's a division. But if you actually talk to close-knit people that have worked together for years, there's a lot less division. Um, That's good to hear. That's division. good to hear now, from my, from my do ears I think because I don't that, see it. Do I think that staff are tired and worn out from COVID? Yes. And I think that there are also a lot of people that just want this to get better and just want this to be over. And in their belief is that if everybody gets this vaccine, that will change it. That is not my belief. I don't believe this vaccine is going to fix that. If I did, I would probably be lining up, but I do not believe that. That is not my belief. Um, I don't believe this is going to fix the whole pandemic. Um, Again, especially because we're not even looking at natural immunity. If we are not looking at natural immunity, we then then this whole thing doesn't make any sense to me and i and i think that's that's where the bottom line is for me so um yeah i don't know i mean we will see what happens um i know that yes do i think that i'm going to be back at the bedside someday probably i mean i love your nursing um yeah i hope so because it's it's unfortunate it will come back you're a strong nurse, we'll, and I need you. I'm getting, I'm older than you by far. <laughs> I need you. We all do, and that's what. And I'll just tell people. Before we did this thing a couple of days ago, you and I talked about the fact that you know there's probably a likelihood that, you know, you're fortunate. You you have been very successful in, in your career. You've got you know you you and your husband did a smart thing. You've got some you've got some time, to wait this thing yes. out. And that's kind of on your plan. That you would like to stay in nursing, which I think is awesome because I, I do think we're going to lose a lot of people permanently. What my fear is, is that the whole bunch of Amy's out there don't figure out that there's, I don't know, better ways to make money, less stressful ways to make money. I've always said that. My first day of training recruiters used to be, these people are unappreciated. Know who you're talking to. They they oftentimes, you know, many places in the country don't don't make a lot of money compared to what their risk factor is and what their appreciation factor is and what their knowledge is. Mm-hmm. My daughter wants to be a, a nurse and I keep going, ah. Haven't you been watching dad for the last 22 years deal with, with, with what this is like? And, and I'm not even a nurse. I'm not even, a, I've never been. So it's, it's, I hope that you do. And I hope that we don't lose what is a incredibly important part of our, not only our personal economy here in the United States, but our worldwide economy in the, in, in the world. I mean, it is what it is. I'll suck up a little bit. You guys are that important. And so it, it's, it's unfortunate in my opinion that, um, that that's gotten to this regardless of how you believe I, it sucks it stinks for us to watch this as a as a you know general public that's for sure so well i like i say i really appreciate this um i think a, a lot of people out there are gonna i hope listen to both what you and brent said and what i'm hoping to get out of this this podcast and this whole episode is really to have some appreciation i think for the other person's opinion and i think both of you guys did that for me um you know with this which is great i had to film it a couple different days but the idea is that you know this this meant a lot that you were um, i will say what what i find interesting is that it was easier to find someone who was pro mandate than it was to find someone who was anti mandate by far and um i had people kind of volunteering pretty quickly but i also say this there it, yeah. it was also interesting <laughs> because i had trouble getting anybody who was willing to actually talk about it openly. And I, my hat's off to both of you guys for, for having the guts to come out and, and say what you think, because that's what I think needs to happen in our, in our industry. Say what you think and listen to what the other person thinks. I think that's where we're, we're, we've got to start changing things. I'm glad your friends that you and your coworkers did. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel very blessed. I, I have a good team that I've worked with for years. And so um, I think a lot of them were 
um, surprised to see me walk away. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of people pull me to the side and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Like, yeah. really surprised. I mean, I think I shocked myself, let alone everybody else. <laughs> well, it was funny. I mean, I just, I, I'll tell I, the audience. I, I didn't have a choice. You guys are both in the Bay, or the northern part, I should say northern California. And I, I guess I can say relatively close, both of you to the Bay Area. So it's interesting because it's not, it's not like a, 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 a regional thing. Yeah, different state, <laughs> different, yep. Right. Yeah. So it was interesting. That's kind of interesting. Thing. Well, thank you so much for this today. I really appreciate it. I know you're moving. I know you're busy. Thanks for squeezing us in. And um, I, hope, I hope that you and I stay in touch. And I hope that I see you back again. In, uh, in in bedside care and where the public needs you. So, Amy, thank you so much for, for joining us and thank for giving you us your opinion today. Me. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so there you go, guys. Um, crazy, not crazy. I guess, I just think it's crazy that we aren't talking about this stuff. Like I said earlier on, this is, this is interesting things in our industry right now. And for lack of... of topic I, this this needed to be discussed still needs to be discussed maybe i've started the the conversation i hope a lot of people share this episode I hope a lot of people say you got to you got to watch this because you know no matter how you feel we're not all together on the same page on this in our country and we're certainly not all together on this in in hospitals so there is some room for better communication some better understanding I don't know where this ends up. Like I just said with, with, with Amy on that last one, I think I even mentioned with Brent, this is going to make staffing facilities more difficult. There's no way around that. Regardless of how you feel, we are going to go through a very, very scary period of time here in our country, in my opinion, especially for those of us who need healthcare. I don't need healthcare. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. Uh, I did just have some surgery, as you guys, many of you know, about, uh, about three weeks ago, actually, three weeks ago. And, um, who knows if, uh, and it wasn't something I could, I, I needed, was able to put off. Um, so who knows if that would have caused me more issues, if that could be a problem here by trying to schedule something in the month of November, or especially as we get close to the end of the year. Like I said, I truly believe that there's going to have to be some give on both sides of this. Here's what I can tell you, in my opinion. I do not think that every hospital in the country, and not, not all of them are, but the more hospitals that require a mandate, or vaccine, I should say, in order to work there, are going to create an even bigger shortage of healthcare workers. And there's no two ways around that. Yes, I do believe many healthcare workers who are anti-mandate or anti, you know, believe they don't, they don't want to take it, will decide to take it in order to continue their career, like Brent and I talked about. I think that's it. It's part of the job description. There you go. I think there will be a lot that will choose not to. There will be some. We can say that. There will be some, which means there are going to be even higher shortages in staffing ratios all over the country, especially, it seems like, in the larger cities, which is where the pain will be experienced. I do believe that there are facilities that are going to say, this is what we're crying and forget about it. I think you know we'll get pressure to have more and more people get that vaccine. I also believe very heavily that there will be a point where the facilities are going to say, we got to figure out a way to get people in here because we're losing money and the community is not being provided for. And I do believe that at some point, facilities will have to drop or reduce or find a loophole to get out of that mandate. I just believe that. I, I don't see how this can possibly go with just the way it is without some repercussions. And I, I know 
Some very smart people in our country have thought of that. But for whatever reason, it feels like right now this is just what we're doing. I think we got to get into November. we got to get into December, the end of the year, and see what this looks like. But I think the public demand for health care is going to somehow have to put pressure on private facilities, institutions, systems to consider opening up and and allowing healthcare professionals to work with either a religious or a, a personal decision, whatever they're going to call it. I just don't see how they can possibly get away, not get away, but do this without doing that. It, it, you got people like Amy who are leaving and maybe permanently, you know, she's got a plan that she would like to come back to healthcare, but people like that, as you guys know, will go out and find a different way to make an income. And who knows, they may say, what was I doing? This is, this is less pressure. I've always said in, in, when I used to train recruiters all the time, it was, this is an under, underappreciated position in most healthcare. So when people start realizing that there's other ways to make income, you could lose those people permanently, which means even if the mandates are dropped or reduced or somehow there's loophole coming in, there's going to be people that are never going to come back to healthcare, And um, that's going to cause some rifts and some problems. We already are in a situation where we had shortages, we had problems. As, as Brent and I, I think said, you cannot have, you can't all of a sudden just miraculously, you know, have people in trade schools and in nursing schools getting, you know, and, and getting their PhDs in, in rehabilitation overnight. There just isn't enough people to teach it. You cannot become a surge tech faster. You cannot become uh, a nuclear med tech or a nurse quicker. And if there's waiting list in places where you get that education, you get those certifications, it cannot be fixed. So we got some problems. And I think for staffing, I guess to kind of sum it up, I think there's going to be opportunity for, again, I think some very strong paying positions. I think there will be... Um, for those people that have decided to get a vaccine, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for them right now. I think for those that have decided not to, I think they're going to be without a position for at least a couple months. But I, I am thinking, and we'll see how this ages, I believe that there will be some opportunity down the road. I just don't see how possibly this can just be, here's what we're doing and that's it. There's going to have to be concessions made on both spectrums in order to provide the health care, in order to make money, in order to be able to have an income. All that stuff is going to have to come. We're going to have to get a little bit more, okay, here's what we want, and here's what we'll be willing to do. Concessions, that'll happen in order for us to be able to be, I guess, provide and have better health care. And, and for those of you that are traveling especially, I, I think there's some good opportunity there. As far as the pay rates go, I think that's going to continue to drive things high. It's always about supply and demand, as I always talk about. You cannot avoid that in our in our world or industry. I think it's really going to be especially obvious in places where you've got big cities in less desirable locations, especially this winter. So I'm talking cold weather or areas of the country where it's just, you know, not the greatest place to be, let's say, in December, January, February. So I think that will really show its head. So for those of you that are vaccinated, that want to go make money, I think that, that there's an opportunity there to do really, really well. Um, regardless of, of, you know, how COVID does or doesn't break out or if there's, you know, flu and cold season, you name it, I think there's still going to be some really ridiculous money to be made out there. And I do think it's going to affect the supply of travelers that are willing to go to the nicer locations. The more people that are chasing the dollars, the less people that are going to have some of the more nicer, warmer weather, you know, uh, 
who knows what, maybe the places where there aren't mandates, there's going to be fewer people to to do, to, you know, be the supply for those positions. So it's all kind of going to be interesting, I guess, to say the very least. And um, I hope today we got a chance to talk about some things. I think we did. I hope we did a good job. I really was trying to um, just throw out some, some questions, which I think most of them were pretty, you know, openly innocent to get people talking. And whether you agreed with everything I said, everything Brent said, everything Amy said, I hope that at least you were willing to listen to some conversation and I hope it gets started talking out there. Please share this one. Please get more people to listen to it, watch it. You never know. Somebody who is just really steadfast in one opinion may be a little less harsh and understand someone else's opinion. If we get that accomplished by this episode, then there's a good thing there. But I do think that the more people that start to listen to this and pay attention and start discussing vaccine mandates will eventually perhaps be the ones that help open the door to some wiggle room so that you guys can continue to be in healthcare and the public can get served and have that, that, uh, that, that care provided for them. Guys, as always, I appreciate it, and I'll catch you next time on Travel Evolved.